right. I am ready to go when y'all are. So if you've got any other bits to do before we get started recording, that's a good time for those bits. Hmm. I'm going to refresh liquid because that seems like a sensible idea to keep my voice in working order. Excuse me 30 Mm. seconds, y'all. I'm going to reverse refresh liquid. Ooh, yeah. I'm going to go soil some liquid. Ew. (laughs) I hate I hate when we talk. I hate when we all speak. And it's <laughs> it's our own. It's we, we do a podcast. <laughs> hear the tone of the heart bell. And you turn, you know that a toll of the heart bell would signal to the ship. You were at a half muster before. This would put out a full muster call uh, Mm -hmm. of people readying themselves. You hear that because there is a figure standing over by the heart bell. And you turn and see Rocco. And Oromar knows this man, at least the context of why this man is in his life. This is one of the people that Calvar picked to add to the crew before you found the island and went mm-hmm. on that fateful boarding party. Mm-hmm. I think Oromar, his body language, which I think in the, under, under less stressful circumstances, anybody would be able to read the body language is artificial. But uh, the body language opens in a kind of arms wide, like a hey kind of thing. And Oromar walks over suspiciously casually across the deck. We still hear individual footsteps of the boots. As we no, 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 that's, that's far enough. Captain, I'm sure you are aware that there's some, been some grumbling on the ship. Mumbling, even. Orma's head, like, turns sideways in, like, an inquisitive gesture, but says nothing. <laughs> I was planning on a formal challenge at some point. I, I wanted to do this right, do this official, but... I started to lose faith very quickly in certain elements of that challenge. So we're here instead. I'll cut matters short. I think we should have made a lot more money on that weave. So I'm taking what I see as my cut. And everyone else who thinks like me is going to be taking that cut. And we'll leave you and your ship be. Orima's signs for laughter. Oh, you are laughing at me. You have some nerve. Laughter. You take us in the middle of nowhere and you fucking die on an island and you don't even have the decency to give up control when that happens. 
<laughs> While Rocco is kind of like getting heated, Oromar is just casually walking closer while Oromar is kind of... And at this point, they're maybe yelling. Like, Rocco is yelling directly in Oromar's face. I said that's far enough! And some rowdy R's move from around corners, and you can see that they have pistols drawn. Mm -hmm. Face it. You've lost your touch. You've lost your edge. There is nothing you could do that will stop this or surprise us. And at this point, Gable, I would really love for you to roll for this dive. Okie dokie. So what skill would you like me to use dive. on this? And I uh, will so that would be skill. sailing. Sailing. Mm. My sailing is absolute ass. <laughs> really? Okay. Hell yeah. uh, if, it is one green die. If uh, your sailing is ass, let me pull up. Well, what one of the things I would love to say is because we did prepare a dive, I would love a blue die. Yes, uh, I, I think we can we can do that because this is a group effort too, Liz. I'm going to give you another option. Mm-hmm. We can turn to once again our old friend, the Uhuru Death Chart, mm. and we can have you make this a full crew roll, being aware that there are absolutely consequences if this roll doesn't go well. You can also say that you have committed certain crew members to certain stations uh, that will put them at higher risk, but will also make it more likely that you will succeed in this role. Yeah, I like that narratively because the theory here is that anyone who's doing what they're supposed to be doing should be absolutely fine during a dive, like should be. And anyone who's not are people who uh, are uh, doing bad stuff. So I, I like... <laughs> having this be a death chart thing. I'll even give you, I'm going to give you one for free here. Normally the death chart rolls would start out with you having three green dice and you can upgrade that to two green and one yellow by committing one crew member. But the first crew member that I'm going to put in that position is actually Jonnet Kessler Mm. because Jonnet Kessler hilariously is not doing what he's supposed to be doing and is at a higher (laughs) risk for this maneuver to go poorly right now. <laughs> so who else would you like to commit? And, so uh, I have three green die. You have right now two green, one yellow. And this is a sudden dive that, that you are planning. It is a hard roll. So I think I'm trying to think of the mechanics of a dive. It involves like a real pull of the helm. And then whoever is, it also requires a, a sudden cutting off of heat. So probably Wendell because he Wendell is the well who is our heat guy? We have I don't think we have dedicated a furnaceer. I realized that a furnaceer might almost be a captain's council position. If not, it is a position like just below that. Like the ship doctor probably doesn't have a captain's council, but they're like super important to mm-hmm. the crew. Wendell might be a shovel guy pretty frequently because he is very strong. So Okay. Do we want to pick someone to be the furnace here? Yeah, you, we, 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 it could be Wendell. I mean, there's also Bowser who's there. Um, I like Bowser being the furnace here, and I like that he's like trying <laughs> to train to be a helms person because thematically appropriate. He doesn't he doesn't like being around all that lava and heat. If you're on the other mm-hmm. side of the ship Head from him, you can see the fire coming across all the way very slowly. <laughs> very slowly. 
Mm. All right. So two yellow, two green, plus the blue that because we prepared it. All right. I, I'm comfortable with that roll. All right. What am I rolling against? Against three purple. All right, friends. Let's have fun. Oh, we we had the an appropriate amount of fun. We have a success and a threat. Perfect. Mm. We see Oromar's locks. Like, Oromar is, like, standing, broad-shouldered, mm. facing this challenge. And I feel like we just see them rise into the air a little bit as oh, absolutely. gravity suddenly changes. Yeah, as um, the uh, Rocco says, there's nothing you could possibly do to surprise us. Oromar's face slackens into that one of peace that they had a moment ago off the back of the conversation with Travis. And it's like, why does he look so serene? Why is his hair flow? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Jonnet, you are in the situation where, like, somebody has just grabbed your arms and shoulders and you feel like gravity tilt as boxes that they are not tied down because they're moving around suddenly start like sloshing in the cargo bay and you can feel you and whoever your assailant is being pulled to the side. Can I make a roll? Yeah. What are you what are you rolling for? I feel like this is like a quick time moment like hand on John's shoulder, danger and then almost immediately after that like the room starts to move i feel like Jonnet's move is to he's got like a a care like because he just unclipped himself so he's got like a carabiner kind of at the ready i, I want to roll like coordination to like mm-hmm. kind of like grab carabiner from off of the hip and just make a wide sweeping motion just to hope to clip to something oh cool yeah roll that um what would that be against Okay, I'm trying to decide what role, what skill this even is. I, f- I was um, thinking like a coordination, but... Coordination, okay, yeah, cord- I can see coordination. Okay, I am going to make this hard. Yeah. Okay, well, this is good, but also... <laughs> I got just about the most possible threats that you can get on something. <laughs> um, so that is going to be... Um, one success, four threats, and a triumph. Oh, Jonnet, 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 Jonnet. I feel like that's like a moment of that's Yahtzee. It's, it's <laughs> uh, <laughs> it. I feel that feels like a hand on shoulder, and like that sort of shock immediately flares open the eye, and so oh. he sort of anticipates the changing of the ship and so like mm-hmm. it's less of a wild motion and it's more of like a divine pathway to the universe you need to clip this yeah mm-hmm. you put your hand in the air to clip onto something that will be there in Shut like three up. seconds oh. yes so yeah. like yeah. it's like a <laughs> John 
And, and the, it's very confusing to the person that grabbed you because, like, you you drop into like a what would be a semi-martial stance, mm-hmm. but you didn't go for like your revolver. You didn't go for your sword. You just took your line and and sort of like moved it to the air. Uh, you can feel like a violent tug on your shoulder. That tug re-angles the clip exactly where it needs to be. As the ship starts to move, as boxes start to crash around, a heavy force breaks free of the people that were trying to hold it restrained. And that force is, of course, Metatron. Who, there is another booming call, a a screaming that, again, like, causes Jonnet to, like, move in a little bit, still keeping that that uh, uh, carabiner out. And, you know, we can see the trail of the divine pathways of the universe as they trace the direction that your hand had to move to be in exactly the right place as Metatron bounds forward through the ship and you clip in exactly to the harness on Metatron's chest. Metatron, the, the ship is his home. He is very familiar with this place, even if he is most familiar with his roost. And he, I think, moves through even with the blinder on and finds the exit and immediately like flares out his wings. And Jonnet, you are suddenly dangling from Metatron, which I think represents to me a huge pile of threats, but also a triumph as you exit the ship and you're sort of like flailing, dangling in the air. And you can see now as the cloud cover far, far above you moves away, what look like at first they could be stars, but you're a star watcher. You're now an experienced star watcher. Even if you're you're new to it, you know instinctually the positions of the stars in the sky and where they should be because you have been studying those relative positions so severely over the past couple of days, trying to find the heading. Those aren't stars. Those are lanterns. Lanterns on the back of griffins descending from the ship that has maneuvered far, far above the Uhuru, flying at the altitude that Gable had cited as being unusually high, that are now diving and descending towards the ship. I would like everyone to roll for initiative. Oh, oh brother. <laughs> I'm it, afraid how, that I how? didn't study that one. <gasps> is that cool? Which, what's what's that again? Cool? It's cooler perception, <laughs> is my guess. Okay. Nope. It is vigilance, vigilance. or cool. Yes. Uh, cool does not really apply to this situation. It's vigilance. Wow. Well, well, joke's on you because my cool and vigilance are the same. Oh. Well, well, let's roll this. this God, when was the last time we had a combat? It's been a... Bit. Technically, the dance fight mm-hmm. that was a kind of combat, just using its own rules. I got a wash. I got three advantages. Oh, hey, wait, wash what, is fine. What are we oh. rolling against? So you don't roll against anything. Oh, for, for oh okay. This. Well, yeah, then I, I got uh, well. four advantages. Ooh. Uh, one success, two advantages. Okay. So Liz was just a formal total wash. Yes. 
I'm gonna I've invented a new mechanic. If we get a total like no results on yeah. uh, your vigilance rolls for initiative, that means that we draw a luminary, and the person who rolled that gets to interpret it. I've so noticed this that. <laughs> that will be in your hands uh, very shortly. Okie dokie. Now I would like people to roll three green dice for the crew. Mm. Each of us? Okay. Uh, no, just one person. Oh. One person to be a representative. Oh, nah. Uh, they did pretty good. Two successes and a disadvantage. All right. Now I have to roll for the villains. Who are they? Who's this other boat? Who are these people? <laughs> it's the fish. Oh, oh, look at that. Somebody didn't have their dice ready. Huh. Huh. Well, They're right well, here. Well, so plus, I just I needed to I needed that. to stand up to see like a lot of shit. my desk like is a so whole lot messy. Of shit. A lot of shit, no dice. Weren't right in front of you, huh? Mm. Wow. Mm. Prepared. Hmm. Pretty sad. <laughs> Holy crap. Uh-oh. This is just a ton. The app automatically calculates all your successes and How did you roll advantages. four failures on green dice? <laughs> Mm. These dice are hacked. <laughs> Weighted story dice. You get a lot of triumphs, bro. I, I like the, that. Like the amamount of work you'd have to go through to get <laughs> weighted dice. <laughs> Just specifically. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's very expensive. A <laughs> <laughs> couple hundred dollars custom dice that no one has molds for. <laughs> Even our six-sided dice are rounded on the edges. It's Why would you want this? <laughs> I like, really need to invent a new one-page RPG when one of the mechanics is specifically to cheat your dice. I love that. <laughs> you like that? Oh, yeah. Like, using, like, liar's dice as a mechanic, like Perudo, specifically. That would be interesting. I got four sixes, and they're like, uh-huh. <laughs> you got a lot of sixes. Well. All right. Well, after a quick Google, no, no surprise, nobody sells that. <laughs> <laughs> Wait <to Genesis laughs> that. Now, what you need to do is, I, well, I guess you could, if you got molds for Genesis dice, mm. you could make your own using a non-transparent resin and just like suspending a weight in the mold. So it, it would be so much could, work. Could you 3D print it? Can you 3D print dice? But uh, listeners, if you enough. want to, you know, do that for, for one of us and send it in, we'll gladly take it. Mm. In addition to the initiative lineup, I need to list who is involved in this fight. Not not it. Not? If there is a fight, actually, I think this might be a time where I need to check the specifics on abilities. I remember what they do roughly, but the specifics might be important here, especially if there are going to be multiple people fighting me in one room. That's going to matter. I genuinely don't remember how to do combat, combat so. I kind well, of Johnny, do. It shouldn't surprise you to know that I will ask you what you're doing and you will tell me what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So before we get into the thick of it, Mm -hmm. God damn it. Why did I say that? Stupid TikTok. (laughs) The backyardigans are in there now and they're, they're not coming out. I would like you to each tell me one detail about a rival pirate ship to the Uhuru. Mm. Mm. I think they are very coordinated with each other, but that is more aesthetically. Like, this is a pirate ship that they show their camaraderie by all 
wearing maybe the same type of jacket or they have theme colors but they I have like the uniform. idea that they all have bike jackets and this is a biker gang not a pirate gang but it's fine <laughs> <laughs> okay I'm gonna I'm gonna meet you halfway there because obviously Rocco is a member uh, or affiliated with this crew so mm. they do have the terrible blue work shirt with white collar and mm. white cuffs oh that's going wide across the gang okay Ooh. <laughs> But I won't say no to leather jackets. You know? <laughs> I mean, if they're all riding griffins like motorcycles, then it just writes itself. Aww. Okay. Okay. So they've got leather jacketed griffin squad for sure. I think that's good. Who's next? What other details he got for me? Delicious deets. Is there... Okay. Is there a way to have... <sighs> within, among the feather weave a concealed sort of platform or something where someone could potentially like snipe from. I don't know if we've ever discussed the ability to snipe in this universe with guns, but Mm. so I'll address this really quick. There are rifled firearms. So potentially you could have snipers. And in fact, like one of the things that was a key skill for early Buccaneers were they were really good sharpshooters with their shitty muskets. That made them legitimately terrifying to a lot of the ships that they came across because they could pick people off from a distance, which makes it really hard to fight back, especially if you're not good with a smooth bore musket. But yeah, it is definitely possible. The thing that could be challenging about doing it from within a feather weave envelope, and I'm not going to say no to this idea, Johnny. I'm just letting you know, they, like, you would have to be going in in some kind of rebreather suit because inside the feather weave envelope is just smoke. But it's a great position to snipe safely from because nobody's going to bother shooting a cannon at your envelope. And even if they do, they're not going to hit you. Mm. What if it's like one of those old school diving suits that you're in, except you use it to like go up into the smoke? It's great. Yeah. I, yeah. They, and like, I think every ship has one of those old or a couple of those old school diving suits because sometimes you need to service within the envelope. Like if, if there is a problem with whatever mechanism that the ver- furnace is venting from, sometimes people got to suit up and climb in there. So that makes total sense that like ships have them, but this pirate ship has a bunch of them because they position snipers in Ooh. there who never duck into cover because they legitimately don't really have to worry about it. Mm. I feel like I'm going to do this pitch and see if I can make it like Joe with what Johnny's saying. Cause like I thought it might be interesting if they're kind of like calling card or like their boarding style is they dispatch the Griffins and the Griffins have essentially like smoke bombs that they drop at the front of the ship that they're trying to board. And so like the smoke goes back and creates like sort of a fog of war um, Ah. sort of effect. And so like then they board, they wreak havoc and then the snipers are there. If anybody ever like leaves the fog of war, they get picked off. And that's why they wear the uniforms because you have to know who your crew is. Mm. That's really great. Liz. I think they first got a reputation because they have a fake Ironside boat, 
Like when, when they first came around, people were like, oh my God, how did these Corsairs that no one knows, how did they have an Ironside boat until people finally got close enough? And usually that's why they board first so people can't ever get close and board them. And then everyone realized, oh no, this is an actual metal. This is all just painted wood and perspective usage to make it seem like this boat is actually made of metal, but it's just like a regular boat. And so everyone, that's why everyone's like, oh, fuck these guys. Fuck them. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> fuck off. It's painted with, with that chrome paint that Anil Kapoor can't use to just make it look like it's a metal ship. It's but great. Does that, I feel like that would play into like the notoriety of this ship where it's like, if you've only heard about it, you know it as like this Ironside ship that's maybe impossibly fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. yeah. How could they possibly? Because they're fucking liars. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The, uh, the ship called the Silver Bullet. Then Silver Bullet. Especially Silver Bullet. You know it all. It all. Captain. Boom. <laughs> Caught it. Dunked it. <laughs> Thank you, Nathan. We have the Silver Bullet. Hey heroes, it's James, your Game Master, and welcome to the mid-roll. Heroes, I am hard at work writing my newest book in the Ultimate RPG Guideline. But while we're waiting for the new one to come out, I definitely recommend looking at some of the books I've already published. Like the Ultimate Micro RPG Book, which is a collection of 42-page role-playing games in a range of different genres and tones by some of the most talented designers out there today. If you're looking to try new games, or you want some smaller games to introduce your friends and family to the hobby, the Ultimate Micro RPG book definitely has something for you. And if you want to sharpen your skills as a game master or player, check out the Ultimate RPG Gameplay Guide where I explain my style and approach to RPGs. If you like what we're doing here on Skyjacks and you want to take home some of that magic for yourself, that is the perfect place to start. You can get the Ultimate Micro RPG book at bit.ly slash Ultimate Micro RPG and the Ultimate Gameplay Guide at bit.ly slash Ultimate Gameplay. And of course, you can find all of my books anywhere books are sold, including major brick-and-mortar retailers like Barnes & Noble, all online retailers, your favorite indie brick-and-mortar bookstore, and of course, your friendly local game store. For an indie shop or your local game store, I recommend calling ahead to make sure they have me in stock. Otherwise, you might need to special order. Before we get back to the episode, I want to take a quick moment and thank some of our backers on Patreon. Ian Clark, thank you. Pascal G, thank you so much. A. Gilderman, thank you. July, thank you very much. Ryan Portney, thank you so much. Ekflum Angua, thank you so much. Duncans and Dragons, thank you. Roberto Shindy, thank you very much. H. Elizabeth Walker, thank you very much. Susanna Pefferer, thank you. Joseph Abramson, thank you so much. Varinder Singh Binder, thank you very much. Mackenzie Bruce, thank you so much. Alex Skolnick, thank you. Mara Linden, thank you so much. Ezra Stevenson, thank you very much. Amy Rosenbaum, thank you. Dan Schumann, thank you very much. And Alex Devereaux, thank you so much. Thanks again to everyone who supports us on Patreon. We wouldn't be able to make this show without you. 
Heroes, I hope everyone enjoyed the character building I did with Nathan Blades on last week's bonus content. I just received the first piece of audio for a new bonus Skyjack series that's going to be coming to the Patreon feed very soon. I have to do a little pre-editing before I pass it off to Allie Grauer for her to do her edits, but I know everyone is going to love this one. It might be a couple weeks before it's ready, but as soon as it looks like it's ready to go, I will let you know more about this series. Suffice to say, you're going to want to hear it, so head over to patreon.com slash one-shot podcast and sign up to support us. It helps us make this show. Every great moment that you've loved in this show has been made possible, has been made possible by listeners just like you who went to support us and allowed us to pay our wonderful cast, our incredible editors, and of course the amazing Arnie Parrot to make something really special. And with your continued support, we can keep doing that. Now then, with all of that out of the way, let's get back in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> they sound actually really threatening to fight. I know. Yeah, yeah, truly. <laughs> I've got like a whole oh, strategy and like, everything. That just conjures the image of like, you have this fleet of griffins and then there's like these, as they get into formation, like you just start seeing them light the smoke bombs and then they have these long tails of like smoke as they go in and fuck shit up. All right, mm. keep going. I, yeah. The, the, this is extremely good. Y'all have an absolute ton of advantages that you rolled mm. uh, for the initiative, which so we remember as we go into this combat advantages on combat and initiative are details that you are allowed to make up. And depending on how helpful that detail would be, that is like how much it is going to cost. Mm. I believe your pool is I think like actually like nine or 10 advantages. It's a lot. So I'm going to write a little 10 up here. If you want to make up a detail about the world around you when we're playing, just tell me, uh, tell me what it is and I'll tell you how much it costs. Okay. Uh, yes, Tyler. Right out of the gate. I'd like John to have some kind of like, because he's got a satchel on the satchel, mm -hmm. some kind of like either, either a flare or some kind of just like, Maybe it's just like a, a lighter with a lot of flint on it that he can, you know, MacGyver into just like a big explosion to sound some kind of alarm if and when he gets his bearings. I can easily see Jonnet having a flare or Roman candle type yeah, thing yep. to signal. Like that makes total sense. Yes. Um, you probably have a couple of those. That will only take one of these advantages. Excellent. First up is an NPC slot. I am going to have these riders. Uh, Jonathan, you can see you're whipping through the air trying to orient yourself, but you did do so very well with that triumph. Uh, you can see that like there are these six dots of lantern light descending from the air and they are moving in a formation where they separate and surround uh, the Uhuru trying to pinch around it. You see this as the Uhuru itself moves into a dive. So before the Uhuru even 
had the indication that they would be able to see these birds, it immediately starts taking evasive maneuvers. So no matter how chaotic or frightened you feel in this situation, like there is a little pang of like, man, Gable knows their stuff. Gable's (laughs) doing the right moves. Hmm. So yeah, that like basically this whole turn was those NPCs starting to close the distance to where they can maneuver on the Uhuru next round. I don't think anybody is like shooting at Jonnet. That feels like super unfair. So next we move to a PC slot. Who would like it? Hmm. I, I think Jonnet, I'd, I'd like to take it. Mm-hmm. Go for it. So do we have any skyjacky equivalent of a, of like just a heads or tails system? Cause like I'm, I'm a little torn up because I'm like either Jonnet goes to write himself or he goes for the, uh, you know what? I think in, in the mind's eye, it'll, it looks cooler if he just goes for the the satchel. So John is going to see all of this and like he just gets he's being tossed around little glints of open sky, open sky, light, light. And then like he kind of like grabs the side of Metatron to maybe balance himself a little bit and processes the lanterns. And he's just like, no, 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 no. Then like he reaches He's got to grab his satchel, reach in, and then immediately just like grabs like the drawstring of this flare system and yanks it so he can try to like light the flare. But I'm going to roll for that. (laughs) Again, let me know if I'm off on this, but it feels like a coordination. Coordination. I'm going to make this a average check with a black die. Yes. Tough, but fair. (laughs) okay (laughs) threats are coming in but so that is going to be five successes and four threats wow holy shit like his his eyes still open yeah yeah okay yeah well i know what the threats are the threats are very simple like first of all let's go to successes We cut to the main mast of the Uhuru, where our fighters, our rowdiest, beefiest folks, who we love so very much, are currently clipped in. And they are bracing against the dive. And we we see Nodos, who is bracing by holding on to being clipped into the main mast. And also he's got one of his spears sort of planted in the ground. And through the hat that he wears, like kind of low slung uh, across his face and his long hair, we can see that sunken, tired eye pierce through the air, looking into the night where you can see the light of Jonnet's flare shooting out. Like, I, I definitely think it's like a little bit Roman candle style where yeah. it like fires out these little flares. And with that, Nodos like very quickly reaches into a bag and pulls out a whistle. And you can hear piercing high over the howling wind, the sound of the whistle ring out across the deck. Anyone who is near or has a whistle of their own blows their whistles and that fills the air. There's just like a quick shot of everybody around the Uhuru hearing this whistle call. The Uhuru knows not only have we gone into a dive, but there is an active attack. And more importantly than that, 
I think embedded within the the whistle pattern or and definitely the color of the flares that Jonnet yeah. is using, you know that there are birds to be expected. There are griffin riders who are coming in for an attack. So everyone on the ship, what you bought for that is everyone on the ship knows exactly what kind of threat they are facing. Thank you, Jonnet. The threat though, Jonnet, you're holding a flare. They can see that somehow the Uhuru has scrambled a rider. So not only is their prerogative going to be to smoke out the deck, they are going to be coming after you and Metatron specifically. Okay. <laughs> is it too late to write myself on Metatron or is that a, that a next move thing? Hey, that's going to be a next move thing right, there, fine, partner. Fine. I cool. love the Whatever. choice that you made. I didn't want it anyway. It. <laughs> no. Fine. <laughs> and we come to an NPC slot. Mm-hmm. And one of these, like, Jonnet, you, you are moving, like, whipping through the air, trying to orient yourself. Like, you've mostly oriented yourself here. Struggling, like, I, I don't know if anybody has, as an adult or a larger person, gone on a trampoline or been harnessed to a bungee thing when you are not really prepared for it. Mm-hmm. It can feel very exhausting to be disoriented in that way, in that situation. So you're dealing with some of that exhaustion, but you also have this hyper awareness of your connection to the universe that is both sight and not sight at the same time. Even if you close your mortal eyes, your third eye is open and you have a situational awareness that is almost instinctual. You can feel the lines of this bird moving around to circle to maneuver near you. You can also feel the murderous intent of its rider as they take out their weapon. I am going to say that these riders have these long barrel, smooth bore, like it's a combination of a musket and a shotgun. It's probably loaded with a paper capsule that has some grape shot in it. (laughs) It's got a long barrel so it can, you know, fire definitely at at a decent enough range, but it's still grape shot so it would disperse. It's it's not quite the same threat as, as a long range slug. Definitely doesn't have that longer accuracy. And they ready this thing at Jonnet. I feel like the answer is to this is no, but um, does Metatron have their war armor on? Metatron, Jonnet, not only does not have their armor Mm -hmm. on, they have a blinder on. Metatron cannot see right now. Oh, Um, my baby! I know! (laughs) I love that you're saying that for Metatron and not for Jonnet. Hey, I'm saying this for Metatron too. (laughs) <laughs> Jonathan is 15. Jonathan's an adult, and that's my baby bird. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, good luck for your baby bird. Uh, this person did not roll very well. That is a failure and two threats. Mm. I am going to say this shot would have done better, would have in fact been deadly. This is a low sight condition that they're in. They can definitely see that there is a bird because they can see somebody dangling from it, holding a flare aloft. 
and they are like they make a quick pass. It's not only a moving shot with a slightly inaccurate weapon, but and and low light conditions. All of these things they they do a shot that would be a kill shot designed to kill Metatron, but Metatron is wearing the blinder. What they instead manage to do is damage the blinder. Metatron lets out a scream. Uh, uh, again, that red-tailed hawk cry, which, because we've got threats here, causes the other rider's bird to panic. You can tell this is a sparrow. These are much, much smaller birds. The birds themselves are not the threat. It is the people on the birds and the weapons that they hold. And in this like tense sort of battle situation, hearing the call of a predator freaks this bird out. So this person like has to take the time to right themselves. And, you know, on, on top of that, there is maybe a little bit of sight that Metatron is getting. Not much, but yeah, that's where we're at. There we now go to, we have a PC slot again. Ooh, if I may. Go for sure. it. I, I don't know how many things are happening in this kind of nature of being simultaneously, but I like the idea of as the room starts to tilt severely and we would all be kind of like flung towards i think a doorway or something like that orimar grabs roddy roderick uh uh, rocco Rocco, thank you grabs rocco (laughs) by the face as if plunging fingers into a watermelon and goes straight down towards the doorway (laughs) to slam this motherfucker through a door (laughs) oh yeah oh yes please uh roll your attack it is always against two purple because Mm -hmm. you're engaged in combat yeah, I have. Brawl, I guess this is brawl because sure. I'm just using my <laughs> my exposed tan. So that is uh, one yellow and three green against two purple. Did you say two purple? Okay. Uh, we have a total of one success and two advantages. Cool. Oh, one success as a and dead three man. advantages. Okay. Oh, heck yeah! Even as a dead man. Oromar shows what being one of the most experienced pirate captains in the sky is like. As the ship begins to list and people who are not clipped in become unmoored, we see Oromar drop into a position ready for action. This hits absolutely, Nathan. Mm. So I want to know what it looks like because it is a beautiful thing this is like a martial arts maneuver that has been prepared for when you're in the very specific situation of of being in a listing ship Mm. this is how you grab your opponent and slam dunk them through a door it's textbook (laughs) so uh, we established that there was a scene relatively early on about getting people onto the ship and that kind of interview process and that's how uh, Rocco joined we get a shot of that really briefly with a uh, uh, an Oromar sitting uh, behind the desk we've got a panel and they're all lined up all these crew members and uh, Oromar is like Rocco R. Robinson <laughs> your uh, <laughs> uh, your uh, rigging climbing skills were A plus uh, but your panic hazard circumstances unfortunately I would give seven C's you are safe 
And as it kind of uh, cuts back to the moment again, we see Oromar's hand just shoot through the frame. And maybe unintentionally, the bones and his tips of his fingers extend, sharpening these into talons as they just land in Rocco's face, as they then simultaneously go plunging towards the door. How do I spend my advantages for this for this little bit? Here? So advantages are you not only complete the action, mm. but something else good happens on top of that. This is not related to hitting mm. them, but like puts you in a good position. Yeah, I, I think in this kind of tilted circumstance, Oromar plants both feet either side of the doorframe. So Rocco goes ha. through the door. Oromar is looking up at the rest of them as they're starting to lose balance. Maybe even on the way down, kind of getting Travis by the cuff so he's not, like, straggling in free air and is now also kind of planted on the wall uh, of, of the room. Yeah, we'll, we'll say that, like, yeah, you land in a position, like, you are ready to tumble and move with the ship. Mm. This is the difference between sea legs and land legs, where an experienced sailor can walk around on a ship that is bouncing across the water, while someone else might be quite sick or definitely unbalanced, just in the most extreme circumstance imaginable. Mm. This is going to bring us to an NPC slot. We are going to cut again to the top deck as the birds that did not get distracted and close in on Jonnet are now going to swarm themselves around the deck, preparing to throw down these smoke bombs. Wow. That was not a success. Um, I think it is really the dive of the Uhuru that does it. You can feel around you and, and see on the deck from the position of the top deck, this colorful smoke pluming up from the side as these smoke bombs, these, I, I guess they would be like ceramic that's housed in metal cages. Some of them bounce off the ship while some of them shatter on the side, like creating these massive plumes of smoke that build out from the side. I'm trying to decide what color it would be because part of the reason for the white cuffs and the, the sky blue shirts is that it would stand out very well against the smoke in the eyes of the snipers so they know who to avoid targeting. But like, yeah, this colorful smoke plumes up from the side, but nothing lands on the deck. The danger is that one of these bombs will land on the deck and, and spin and bounce across the deck, sending smoke out everywhere. Because you're in this dive, though, you've angled it away and most of their shots have bounced off without being a threat at all. It sounds like you and yours are prepared to sail right into battle with the first Corsairs you meet. 
Being an old skyjack sometimes gets lonely, and it's nice to have folk who stop by and listen to me tales. So I do hope that you're the type to heed a warning. The skies round here ain't exactly friendly, especially not for a merchant vessel. Now I'm sure the feathers have been filling your heads with all kinds of strange stories about corsairs. On the one hand, telling you about their bloody and blasphemous work in the skies. And the other telling you not to worry to risk your life when you're fighting against them. But believe you me, there oughtn't be much fighting. Even if you were trained to use that carbine and bayonet at a red feather camp. Tis nothing like crossing swords with a soul whose life and freedom is on the line. And while you cut quite the figure in that blue and red coat... Not a scratch or a scar in sight. But it's a rare circumstance that you meet a corsair whose blade ain't been nicked by a clash of steel. That's the thing about red feather training. They push you into the fight, but they don't tell you how to finish it. Unless you happen to be sailing with a large contingent of soldiers, you don't have a prayer of winning a real fight. Now, if you're lucky, you're flying with a captain who's got some experience or sense. And they'll run up a white flag as soon as they see one that's black or lumens forbid red. Then it'll just be a bit of waiting and negotiating while you give away some of your cargo for the right to have everyone fly off with all their parts intact. Course, if you're flying under someone green or someone who's got something to prove... Your captain is likely to be slow in putting up that white flag. That means you're likely to be bombarded or barded first. I can see it on your faces already. You're thinking of those rows and rows of shiny cannons that you've got on your ship. Believe you me, they'll do you little good when your enemy's coming at you from above. Sure enough, red feather cannons nothing to trifle with. But the mariner and settlements have more to fear from a red feather cannon than a corsair. Because a corsair picks where they have their fights. And they'll usually be coming at you from above. And those rows of cannons are only worth a bit if you don't have to aim around your canopy. If they find their preys uncooperative, they'll probably be dropping charges. Barrels packed to the brim with gunpowder and grape shot. A few of those land on your deck and you won't have so many soldiers or sailors anymore. Of course, there's also a chance that you'll be boarded instead. In that case, they'll grapple onto you and reel you in. You might get in a few shots with those shiny cannons after all. But as soon as you're deck to deck, the Corsairs will make their landing. And the biggest difference between a Corsair ship and a red feather vessel is that Corsairs aren't so stingy about employment. Redfeathers know that even a two-bit scallywag still costs them two copper bits every week, so they keep their crews nice and light. And I'm sure you've noticed just how busy you are aboard that ship. Every waking hour that you aren't eating, you're working. And that's because they've complemented it to the bare minimum. If you're lucky, you'll only be outnumbered three to one by their boarding party. And if your luck doesn't abandon you during the fight, your captains will have the same sit-down with the same waiting around and the same taking apart of your cargo. Only after a fight, most Corsairs are much less lenient in their terms of surrender. 
but I don't want to give the impression that that's what every Corsair encounter is like. Some ships don't give you a chance to run up a flag at all. Like the Silver Bullet. It's a Corsair vessel that stalks around these parts. Rumored to be an Ironside ship. One of the first. Even if you are lucky enough to exchange cannon fire, it'll likely bounce right off their hull. And all the while, they'll send out their riders to lay smoke on your deck. Send their agents aboard to sabotage your furnaces. And have their sharpshooters pick off any soul misfortunate enough to be ordered to stand above deck during the fight. There are many corsairs who are prudent. They only take a portion of cargo. Leaving vessels with enough supplies to get to the next port, and even enough cargo to keep their jobs. Not the bullet, though. Bullet pirates are set to ransack every hull they find. Filling their bays with plunder, and leaving you with nary enough to survive on the hard trip back. Which might be a very hard trip indeed. If you lost any souls in their bombardment, you'll be having to cover hands in your already lean compliment. An unenviable position, one that I've had to be in more than once. My advice is to watch the night skies, and keep a lookout for any stars that seem to be moving about just too much. Those very well could be the bullet, and her griffins, watching sphere below from altitude, waiting to see bloody weave. And if you do see such a sight, I recommend pressing to your captain that you have no intention of dying. Not for cargo, and certainly not for pride. After all, a skyjack who's lost his cargo is a jack still. Now, unless I've mistaken your paleness, you brave souls are looking a bit parched. I think another round of drinks are in order. Campaign Skyjacks is a one-shot network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter over at CampaignPod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. Welcome to Character Creation Cast, a show where we create and discuss characters, the best part of role-playing games, with guests using their favorite systems. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Bolter. And I'm your other host, Amelia Antrim. Join us as we sit down with game designers, podcasters, and fans of games as we dive into learning about different RPGs through the lens of character creation. It's a combination of character building, player advice, game design insights, and even a little bit of fan fiction for a different game every month. We tackle a variety of new and old games, both well-known and indie-produced titles. We learn how creating characters can tell us a lot about the games themselves. Check us out today anywhere you can get podcasts or on the OneShot Podcast Network at OneShotPodcast.com. You can find more great gaming shows over at OneShotPodcast.com. Like Skyjack's Courier's Call, an all-ages-friendly actual play podcast set in the world of Sphere. Skyjack's Courier's Call follows three teens as they set out as new apprentices aboard an airship with the Swiftwell Courier Service, bringing mail and adventure across the world. 
featuring Drew Merzieski, Palomi Pertap, Aaron Catano Saez, and Ali Grauer. And using the Cortex Prime system, this show is perfect for anyone just getting started listening to actual plays, and veterans of the tabletop genre alike. Join clever but anxious Kieran, bold, fast-talking Cece, and the loyal and strong June aboard the Red Audrin ship as they sort and deliver mail, encounter powerful magic, and learn the proper skills of an Ariner along the way. Right wrongs, do mercies, and take flight. Jonnet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. He also co-stars and consults on Showtime's Work in Progress. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at Liz Anderson underscore underscore underscore, or on her podcast, Paired. Travis Matigo was played by Johnny O'Mara, who can be found on Twitter at Johnny and Briefs, or on his podcasts, Bill Buds and Dilettante Ball. Captain Oromar Vale was played by Nathan Blades, who can be found on Twitter at Phantom Arts ENT. You can also find them streaming on twitch.tv slash theneoncaster. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG or on my other podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this podcast was written, composed, and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find him on Twitter over at A-R-N-E-P-A-R-R-O-T-T. You can find more of his work at atptunes.com. This episode was edited by Casey Tony who can be found on Twitter at Casey Pony or on his podcast, Neo Scum. Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea, who can be found on Twitter at Fiona Pup. The World of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists and Illimat, produced by Together Studios. This show uses a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system, designed by Sam Stewart and a team of talented professionals who were fired by the private equity firm owning Fantasy Flight Games. Strangers who've ever been kind And once for our friends ne'er to rise Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind Who know we can never deny The call of the sky